Good morning. How y'all doing today? So this pulpit, this is a beautiful piece of furniture. Let me tell you why. Because it hides my knees knocking together. So. Today we're going to be looking at uh, Joshua. Specifically, Joshua chapter 24. Verses uh, 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Your fathers served, your fathers served that were on the other side of what? Sorry. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There it is. Okay. So I want to back up a little bit and kind of go through the history and go through. Um, exactly where Joshua is at. Because this is essentially the last sermon that we have of Joshua. This is the last time that he talks to the Israelites. So, back in chapter 23, um, the, the main idea that Joshua goes through in, in his sermon in chapter 23 is God's unfailing faithfulness to Israel. And essentially their responsibility to be faithful to God. And that the enemies that they had, um, the enemies that they had conquered as they come into the promised land, had been done by God's hand. That He had led the way. That He had defeated those enemies. That they, in all reality, had not done it. And essentially, that their God fought for them. And I apologize. I don't have my my scriptures marked, so I might have to take some time to flip through and find them. But I want to read them to you as they are. So in Psalm forty-four. On this point, it says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers, our fathers have told us what work you did in those days, in the times of old, how you did drive out the heathen with your hand and planted them, how they did afflict the people and cast them out. For they go not in the land, for they... For they got not in the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you had favor on them. Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverance for Jacob. Through thee we will push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will trust in my bow, for I will not trust in my bow, neither my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long. Praise thy name forever. Selah. So this psalmist was recounting essentially what God had did for the Israelites when they crossed the Jordan and came into Canaan. And saying, reiterating the point that they didn't do it. They 
were led, they were given the victories from God through His strength. And it was courage and obedience were the graces that led to success. And in the first chapter of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, this is um, God talking to, to Joshua, and He says, Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shall you divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whither, wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make thy way prosperous, and you shall have good success. Have not I commanded thee to be strong and of a good courage? Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever you go. So, as they're, as they're coming to the Jordan, and they've, they've um, conquered enemies up to this point, and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan and come into the promised land, God's telling them, be obedient. Be courageous. Have your faith in me. And the thing about Joshua is if we look at his character traits, even, even when they were in the wilderness, Joshua was faithful. He was devoted. He was spiritually minded. He had fear of the Lord. He had courage. He was obedient and decisive. And we can see that because he was one of the spies that came in to check out the promised land before the whole people moved in. And, and there was only two people from that group in the wilderness that were able to come into the promised land. Caleb and Joshua. Because they gave a good report. They had courage. They knew that God would carry them through. So in these last two sermons, Joshua's, Joshua's reached an old age. He's, he's getting up there in years. And, and we can see that at the end of chapter 23, uh, when, when he essentially says he's going to go the way of the earth. He's, he's old and he's thinking he's going to pass. He's done. He's reached the end. Um, and, and he fears that Israel will conform to the nations around them, to, to, the, to the heathens, essentially, the Canaanites that were left in the promised land after they come in and conquered because they didn't wipe everybody out. They took some for slaves. And Joshua says, hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast to the Lord. That temptation would be strong to forsake Yahweh and to cleave to the Canaanites. And that's chapter 23, uh, verses 9 through 13 is, is where it goes through that. For the Lord has driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man has been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, it is he that fights for you as he has promised you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you. 
scourges in your sides, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So Joshua's telling them, if you do not continue to cleave to God, if you do not continue to walk in His ways and give Him your life, He will forsake you off of the good land. You won't have the promises that we have in, in God. And there's no middle ground. And we can learn that from the New Testament. If we go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24... probably pause after I ask you guys to turn somewhere. My wife told me to wait to take pause. <laughs> so, verse 24. It's Jesus speaking. And he says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot deserve, or you cannot serve God and mammon. So we see it laid out for us in the Old Testament and the New Testament that there's, there's one path to eternal life. There's one path of righteousness. We all come from different paths before that point in our life where we chose to walk the way of God. But my question is, who do you serve? Because as I go further, it gets a little bit more uh, pointed, I guess about who we serve. So there's doom from disobedience. Joshua said that. There'll be scourges in your sides, thorns in your eyes. You'll be driven off the promised land. And, and as we look through the history, Israel ends up in captivity. Israel ends up slaves off of the good land that God promised them because they turned. They turned to the left or turned to the right. They didn't stay on the narrow hard path. And Joshua goes to explain further that Israel's threat was not military. They were not going to be conquered by physical strength. That their downfall was going to be moral and spiritual. Um, essentially, that, that, that the threat was their morality and their spirituality was going to be... Was going to be uh, wish I paid more attention in English. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, and I think the same thing can be said about our nation um, with, with verse chapter, or with chapter 23 of Joshua. Um, we just went through this, this big election, and there was a lot of garbage on both sides of the aisle, and there was a lot of Christians that took hard you know, stances where they were at, and there were Christians that, that didn't know where they were going to go. They didn't know what to do. Um, and, and no matter if we have Hillary Clinton or um, Donald Trump or Barack Obama again, or we had uh, that independent guy from Utah, it doesn't matter, in my opinion. Because the sin is in our hearts. Joshua was a good, faithful, obedient leader. And the Israelites were still choosing idols. Moses was a good, faithful leader. And look at all the, the, the heckling he went through. They didn't believe. God showed them wonders again and again and again and again through the Exodus. And they continued to have sin. They continued to doubt. 
So does it realistically matter? Unless it's Jesus Christ himself, does it really matter who's in charge of our country? Because if, as Christians, if we stood up, if we took the hard line, if we said, this is what we stand for as a nation, how many Christians are in, are in America? How many Christians are around the world? Why is it so hard for us to stand up and take this stand? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why is it so hard to, to, to take that stand saying, this is what I believe in. This is black and white. This is God-breathed, ordained. We either believe all of it or none of it. There is no middle ground. We are either in Christ Jesus or we are in the world. And I would argue, even in my own life, that as Christians walking the, the, the walk of faith, I come to church, I serve, I have desires laid on my heart that are not my own, I still hold on to idols. I still hold on to sins. I put them up on the shelf. I put them in the closet. But they're still there. And as we progress into chapter 24, um, we're going to kind of gain, gain the idea of, of these battles that we face. Um, and, and, and we'll see where it leads. But um, there's the, the history side of it um, between these two chapters, because they're almost identical sermons. But in the beginning of chapter 23... It, it, it says that Joshua called for all Israel and for the elders, for the heads, for the judges, and for the officers. So, so some of the commentaries believe that chapter 23 is to the, the, the heads of the nation, to the judges, to the, essentially their sheriffs, to their mayors, those kind of things. It's, it's, it's to the leadership of the nation. So he has this necessarily more personal intimate conversation with them, calling them out and saying, hey, look, especially as leaders, especially as leaders, what do we expect out of, out of Pastor Jackie, out of Pastor Jason? As, as, as humans, we pick on their faults, right? Because they're supposed to be this perfect picture person. Now, if we study the Word and we really dig deep, it doesn't matter if you were one of the apostles that saw the miracles that Jesus Christ did. There's still sin. We're all broken. And it doesn't matter if we have a president that's broken or not a believer. If we as a church come together and say we are broken, but we stand for this, this is what I choose to cleave to. This is what I choose to hold to. The Lord. Then what is impossible? So, the history behind that and another little tidbit of... Rabbit trail. Um, so, ch- so chapter twenty-four, um, he, the the commentaries think is more like the nation. He calls the people together, and um, that it's 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 to like a, a congregation or a group of people and the leaders, and they meet in Shechem. So the really cool thing about Shechem is that. There are lots of things that happened in Shechem. When Abraham was brought to the Lord, Shechem is where he received the promise from God. So this place already has importance in um, the Israelites' uh, minds. This place is, is a holy place and there's, and there's uh, instances of altars being put up to the Lord and to, to show their promises or to show God's promises and to show their covenants that they made with God. So, so it's where Abraham received God's promises and inheritance. It's also where Jacob stopped. 
and with his family. And he essentially calls his family to take the idols that they were carrying with them, take the idols that they had brought with them, and to deface them, to get rid of them, to put them away, to be done with them, to, to, to separate themselves from the old gods. And they defaced them and they buried them in Shechem. And during the initial phases of the Israelites' conquest into Canaan, Joshua built an altar there. So as they've, as they've come through, they've conquered the land. We're at, the, we're at a point where they've gone through and they've subdued the land. God has brought them to the promised land and they've reached their rest. They've reached the point where they can put down their swords, take up plows, work the vineyards, and live life and have families. Um, so, oh, something I forgot. When it talks about Jacob um, and Joshua, well, I'll talk about it when I get there. So, it was uh, in, in, uh, on the altar that Joshua built after their initial conquest, he inscribed the law on that, on that altar. So, it was, Shechem wasn't just a town. Shechem wasn't just a place. There was, there was meaning here for the Israelites. There was a covenant that had been made over and over and over again. Abraham, the promise. Jacob taking his family and saying, we're going to serve the Lord, put away the old gods, put away, put away the idols, put away the world, we're going to serve God. So this place is essentially a place where there has been covenants with God over and over again, promises with God over and over again. In chapter 24, as we get into the meat of it, it follows a covenant renewal. And in, 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 in the time of those nations, the, uh, the stronger nations would make treaties, but it was called a suzerity. And essentially, the stronger nations um, held power over the vassals or the, or the weaker nations, but they, they signed a treaty that essentially the weaker nations wouldn't have any other um, affiliations. They wouldn't be obedient to anybody else. That um, The faithfulness and obedience from these weaker nations was given to the stronger nation. And I mean, the, the Hittites which is one of the, the people that um, the Israelites conquered in that land, they had treaties like that with people. And we've seen through history um, other treaties like that. And that's going to come into play as we go through what God did um, in, in this sermon. So the, the treaty has a, like a preamble and then a historical prologue, stipulations for, for the weaker nation with consequences for disobedient, disobedience. And then there's the agreement. Um, and, and chapter 24 follows this, this forum. And we can know that it's God making the covenant with, with the people of Israel because um, in chapter 24, verse 2, it says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So capital L-O-R-D. It's all caps. So he's speaking as a prophet. He's, he's speaking the word of God, from God. Your, your fathers dwell on the other side of the flood in an old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And it goes through, essentially, the, the, his, the history behind what happened with the Israelites. Esau was given... Mount Seir, and, and 
was kind of pushed or, or put out of the way so that he wouldn't interfere with the inheritance. And um, Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. And Moses and Aaron... Um, and he plagued Egypt according to that which he did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. So he's saying, I did this. I, God, brought you out of Egypt. And he brings them into the land with, of, the, of the Amorites. And on the other side of the Jordan, they fought with you. I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. And... Uh, in the Hebrew, that before you is not just like before you. It's like they, it's, it's, it's denoting like you saw it. You saw it before you. You saw it in, in, in front of you. So he's, he's saying, I did these things and you saw it. You saw what I did for you. And that, that holds to the, to the historical um, part of, the, of that treaty. Lost my place. So he reviews the history and the blessings, bringing them out of the Chaldees, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them into Canaan, conquering the land. And 18 times the personal pronoun is used. 18 times God says, me, I, I used, I did, I took. And he reviews all these marvelous deeds that he's done, that he's performed, that it's not their effort. That it's God's good mercies. And the stipulations that are, that are put in place, um, you know, fear the Lord. And that fear is not like scared. Like that's, as, as you, it's funny, people, uh, like when I'm teaching the kids, you know, fear to them is, is scary things, right? The dark spiders, snakes, dogs, what have you. They have a, they have a fear. And, and it's the same thing with when we talk about God being a jealous God. We need to remember that we don't make the definition. God makes the definition. And so if we look at the definition of fear in the Bible, it's a reverence. It's, a, it's, a, it's an honor. We're showing, if I was to show God fear, I would be holding Him reverent. I would be showing Him honor because of His glory. Because of His good mercies. That's my fear. I respect Him. I have a, I have a healthy respect. For the Lord. It's not, we're not supposed to be scared. We're not supposed to be frightened. Now granted there are very bad things that, that we should be scared of. Um, but in all reality if we're found in Christ. We don't have to fear the judgment. We don't have to fear the wrath. So we can have respect for God's, for God's glory. And his justice. And his righteousness. Because it's amazing. His mercies are beautiful. And the things he does in our lives. And the prayers that he answers. We can have a, a, a respect and an honor for the, for, the, for, for, for the being that created us. That, that holds our world together. That holds our lives together. And to serve him. Back, back on point. Um, so the stipulations were to fear the Lord and to serve him. I can find the verse. Chapter 
Joshua in verse 19 says, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. In in verse 20, If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will turn and do you hurt and consume you after He has done you good. So Joshua is saying... You know, we, we need to fear the Lord. We need to serve the Lord. We need to, to honor Him. We need to be obedient to His Word. Or He won't bless us. He won't protect us. He won't deliver us from our enemy's hands. So, and uh, another historical fact. So the, the treaties for that day, when these... Uh, when these stronger countries, stronger nations made these treaties, they were not allowed to have other alliances. These, these weaker nations, they, could, they, had to, they had to reject and deny other, other um, alliances. And so as we're following through this and we see this treaty and it's following something that we can kind of wrap our head around because we can see it in history, we can see what these nations did and we can go, okay, so, so God's following this format through Joshua and he's essentially saying, there, you, you cannot have any other. You, you're not allowed to have other affiliations. And we can see that with idolat, you know, idols and other gods. He's, he's telling them to turn from them and to, and to reject them. And in verse 14, he challenges them. Choose her. I think it's verse Choose the Amorites in Canaan, or choose Yahweh. And Joshua says, I choose Yahweh, me and my house. So the cool thing about me and my house is it's not just him, his wife, and his children. It's him, his wife, that the households in this culture, the households in this culture, um, it wasn't just like our households today. I have me, my wife, my kids. That's, that's who I have authority over. That's who I'm called to lead. To show them God. To show them the Word. To, to lead them in that. To set that example. In their day, the household, the family, was them, Joshua, his wife, his kids, maybe his, his brother or his, or his, excuse me, his uh, sister, extended family, also his servants, and any strangers that were in his household. Like that's when, when they say, my family. When Jacob has his family... And he calls them. It's not just him and his direct family, him and his kids. It's his household, his servants. So, so we get this bigger picture that it's, we're not, I don't just have this little sphere of influence. We're not called to separate from the world. We're called to, to, to stand apart. So if I'm, if I'm leading my family, if I'm standing up and, and I'm, I'm saying I'm willing, I'm standing in the gap, there's other people around us that we can influence. There's people at work. There's people um, at the gas station. Sometimes it's hard. I've had lots of times where I'm at the gas station I try and, and I try and interject Christ into it. And you get shut down. You get shut down. You get shut down. But eventually those people start to open up. Or, or, you, or they bring it up. Or questions are asked. And, and you start to grow your sphere of influence. Why? And I'm guilty of it. Why would I want, not want to share this? If any of you have seen Ray Comfort, he does this really good analogy. 
in one of his, one of his movies. Um, and by all intents and purposes, this man's reasoning, he's a genius at the way he reasons with people. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't come at them in a judgmental way and saying, this is the word, this is truth, everything else is a lie, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He just simply talks to them. He reasons with them. He uses their own logic against them. They come to the conclusion themselves through their own logic. All he does is ask questions. And so there's an analogy in one of his videos where this guy is riding an elevator and it malfunctions and it stops like three to four feet above where it should be to go through the doors. Doors won't open. He's trying, he's trying, he's trying. He's freaking out. And he, he calls like the operator through the, through the elevator phone and the guy says, okay, I'm pushing a button. You should be able to push the doors apart now. So he pushes the doors apart. So he, and he's, he's there to deliver a package. And he's in risk of losing his job because he was late to deliver a package. So he's in a hurry. He's trying to book it and get out of there. And as he's jumping out of the elevator, the, the operator guy says, hey, you need to stay there because if this malfunctions, something could really go wrong. Somebody could get really hurt if they get on this elevator. So you need to stay there. You need to stay there. And the guy's like, no, 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 I got to go. I got to go. I got to go deliver this package. And so he, 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 he writes a note, do not use... Um, there's other parts of the story, but essentially he runs off, left a little sign. That sign gets taken away. And two people get on the elevator, and it plummets, and they die. So the question is, why would I not stand and be the messenger? If death is what comes, why would I not want to give that message of life? Why would I not want to, to stand in that, in that gap, right? We've all heard that, that one. Um, most of us. I can't quote the scripture, so I apologize. I'm not as well versed as, as some. I try. So, Joshua chooses Yahweh. His family is, is, it chooses Yahweh. And essentially, Joshua, through the last part of chapter 24, leads the people to a covenant renewal. They, they, uh, so in verse 21, And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto his people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, he said, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve. His voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So really cool part about that verse right there. The sanctuary of the Lord. It's up for debate, granted. Um, but in that day, the sanctuary of the Lord was, was the ark. And it wasn't that far away that if, if, if Joshua had, had wanted it, they could have brought the ark from Shiloh, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But it was only, um, I want to say, like five or ten miles. Um, but essentially they say this, you know, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. The sanctuary of the Lord in that day was the ark. So not only are they making this covenant renewal in a, in, a, in a special place, in a holy place to them that their fathers had, had made covenants, but they're doing it in front of the Lord. I just thought that was cool. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto you, for it has heard all the words 
of the Lord which he spake unto you. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny God. And Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. So Joshua's reached the end of his life. He's 110. Why is it that, um, and, and no disrespect, but why is it that the older generation, the older people, have the courage, more often than not, to call out sin, to say, this is what the Word tells us. This is how we should be living. Why can we not do it as a body? So some parallels that I want to draw between Joshua, his conquest, his sermons, and our Christian life. Because that's where we're not a direct Israelite. We're, we're, we're adopted into the family. So our Christian life that we live. And some parallels I want to draw are the fact that Joshua's conquest um, was a battle with the forces of evil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 Verses 11, or 10 to 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. As they're going through the conquest, Joshua's called to be obedient. He's called to be faithful. He's called to, to, to hold to the law. This is our armor. It's a spiritual battle that we face. And we can use it to help us conquer the... the the battles that we face in our lives, the people that we feel led to talk to or, or that we see living in sin and we, we want to say something but we don't know how. Use the Word. Use the armor that God gave us. So Joshua's victory was won by faith. How else can we, can we get eternal life? How else can we get to heaven but through our faith in Jesus Christ? And in First uh, John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Our faith is what gets us through our challenges. Our faith is what can get us past the, the sins that we hold on to. can get us past the, 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 the idols that we have in our lives. Whether we put them on the shelf or not. There's things in all of our lives... There, there always will be. I was uh, talking with Pastor Jackie one day, and um, we were talking about something I'd been been going through, and and I said, yeah, it's it's you know, like one of the last big things that I got to deal with, and and uh, and it's I mean it's silly, but it's not. It's just I, I it's it's just silly. It's really nothing major at all but it feels like a big oppressive thing because it seems impossible to overcome. And it's not necessarily in the Word unless you kind of look and you, and you 
fit it, essentially. But he said, oh, don't worry. There will be plenty more. <laughs> and I'm like, oh! Can't win for lose. Except for the fact that I find joy in the Lord and that um, He gives me strength and He carries me through these things. And my victory will come when I see the face of the Lord. Because my faith is in the Lord. It's where I choose to put my all. All in. Devoted. So the fruits of the conquest were soon lost. Um, the successors of Joshua, the elders, essentially the, the elders that he gave that last sermon to, um, as they died off, trouble started. I mean, the, the very next book, um, the Israelites start, start marrying and start worshiping other gods, and we see it throughout the rest of the Old Testament. They see all these miraculous things through this conquest, and then the, the, the strong, spiritually-led leaders pass away, and the people turn. We used to have strong faith um, in, in leadership in the country. Uh, it's, you know, it's up for argument as to whether they truly were faithful or not. But it still remains that they all had a belief of some sort in a higher power that I call God. And the nation prospered. That doesn't mean there wasn't tri- trials and tribulations. But still... There was, there was a faith. And as we've come through these ages, and now I'm, granted I'm not, not old enough to see a handful of presidents, but the few I have seen, it's just progressively getting worse. Our leadership is farther and farther and farther away what we would consider a good leader. And, and where's the church been? Sitting on our hands. It's, it's rough to say that. And now granted, not every church, not every Christian, but the church as a majority, to me, in my opinion, has seemed to, to sit on their hands. We're losing the fruits that God has given us. We have a lot of power as a Christian nation. We have a lot of power as a church in a nation where we're still allowed to do this. It, it boggles my mind that it is so easy for us to do it, yet we are so unwilling or so scared to say it to somebody in the gas station, to say it in somebody at the grocery store. You're talking to a telemarketer and tell them to have a blessed day. It doesn't matter how big or how small the conversation is. It, if, if, if the Spirit is there and the Spirit is calling them, even something as little as saying, have a blessed day, can draw them to that path. Can lead them that way. So why do we not stand and say, I am found in Christ. Wherever we're at. I teach. I don't teach. I mean I teach, but um, I, I coach peewee sports. And um, I have this really awesome shirt. It's for the, the FCA. It's the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's got a big old cross on it. The washer ate it yesterday or Friday. I was bummed because that was my, my, my team for basketball this year is orange and it's an orange shirt, so I could get away with it. But um, unfortunately, the, the washer was hungry, so I'm, I'm bringing prayer to my games this year. 
a lot of the parents are, are believers, but they don't stand for it. They don't, uh, you, you would not recognize it until I say, hey, because I have to have permission. Say, hey, I'm, I'm going to pray at games just for safety. I'm just, you know, and, and for a good time and we have fun. And they're like, oh yeah, we're Catholic. We're Baptist. We go, you know, we used to go to this church or we go to this church. It's just like, wow. If more of you, if, if, if we just stood up, there are a lot of us out there that have a belief if we would truly submit our lives. And that's the conclusion I'm going to come to today. If we would turn our lives, if we would truly serve the Lord. Um, don't know where I was going with that rabbit trail, but here we are. Rest only comes to those who maintain the position they have won. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And I, I apologize. I wanted to back up to verse 10 or 9. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Um, I'm not going to draw a lot of conclusions from this, but what I did want to point out is that um, the people of God have a rest coming. We can, we can go into a lot about what heaven and hell are. But the, the, the quick and short of it is there's a rest in heaven. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. We have eternal rest from the oppressiveness of, of this short life that we do have with sin and with sorrow and pain. There's a, there, there is a rest that comes. Why would we... I mean, it's, it's the eternal question. Why do people turn away? Why are there unbelievers? It's, their own hearts have to, have to come to that point. The, the heart attitude has to be that they choose God. But I'm up for rest. Now granted, I've had it for the last few weeks. I've been, I would consider myself lazy. Uh, with my arm broken, it's been very hard. But um, there's been a rest in it. And it's been nice. So if we kind of draw back and look at the bigger picture in terms of another analogy of the Christian life, we can look at Canaan um, as, as heaven or a higher Christian life. Canaan was, was to be won by warfare, as is, um, our, as, a, as is our Christian life. Like we're, that's, we're, I mean, we're not... We want the blessings. We want the eternal peace. We want the eternal life. We want something better than we could ever know on this earth. And that's and, and God's mercies and His grace and the amazing things that He does in our lives draw us to, to Him. And we, 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 as we get into it more and we dig in and, and, and we cut our teeth and, and we start growing, growing full-size you know, molars to chew on this stuff, like we strive more and more for that higher Christian life. To be able to, and, and, and Jackie said it, and, and Jason said it, but to, to be told 
Well done, good and faithful servant. And so in Romans chapter 7, verse 23, it says, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. As he's going through chapter 7, he's essentially saying... um, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And at the end of, of that chapter, he's drawing the conclusion, like, look, it's, 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 it's warfare. It's a spiritual warfare because my mind knows I have, I, I have my faith in Jesus Christ. I have my faith in God. That's who I serve. But he, he, he catches himself warring against his body, his flesh. And Canaanites um, can be drawn to uh, the, the spiritual enemy. As in, as in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, again, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So the warfare of Israel, this... Uh, the warfare that Israel had with, with Canaan, with the Canaanites, um, is essentially the fight of faith that, that we face. First Timothy, uh, chapter 6, in uh, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That verse, fight the good fight. In uh, Greek, it's agunatumai. Agunatumai. That, when, when that was first said to me, it was a lot louder. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to yell, but I just when it, when it, when it just, like when the bass goes from the drums or the bass guitar, when it just, it just reverberates in me to fight the good fight. Agunatsumai and um, the Greeks and the Romans and, and when they would have the wrestling tournaments if you lost they took an eye they weren't very nice if you were a loser it eventually led to death and so that Agunatsumai means to fight with everything with everything that you have to your deepest everything everything Not lukewarm, not one foot in, not one foot out. To, to everything that you have, because your life depends upon it. Agunatumai. And we do. As Christians, we fight the faith in our daily lives. There's, there's, it drives me nuts trying to watch TV. And I, I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. Um, mostly it's the news. Sometimes I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll flip on a movie. But even on the kids' cartoons... It is atrocious, the things 
that are shown or said. Some of the kids' cartoons, I was uh, babysitting yesterday. I had my kids. I had uh, two sister-in-law's kids. So all together, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine kids. And me. It was, it was, it was good, though, because um, it was nice outside. So all the boys went outside. And then uh, my, my older niece, um, I let her pick a cartoon. And she picked one of those teenage cartoons on Nickelodeon or something like that. And they were talking about essentially evolution. Like, and if we weren't paying attention, I mean, do we catch those things? It's been amazing as I've, as I've come through this more and I'm, I'm digging deeper and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm striving. The little things on TV I catch. The commercials absolutely are atrocious. Atrocious. I mean, we don't have to talk about shows. We don't have to talk about Grey's Anatomy or Good Behavior or, you know, these other... The, the, uh, the Walking Dead. <laughs> there's, some, there's some faithful uh, Walking Dead people in here. And now, granted, um, as, as, as a believer, I'm, I'm to lay down my rights. So, essentially, the things that I choose for my life, the things that I choose, um, I, I shouldn't oppress you with. So I'm laying down my rights, but I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to draw the parallel to our lives in terms of a spiritual battle because we're, we're bombarded with these things. Viagra commercials, uh, you know, sex scenes. We pay Hollywood. We pay Hollywood to feed us sin and idolatry. Wolf on Wall Street set the record for the most vulgar words used. I haven't seen it, but that's... The numbers that I was given when I looked it up. So, do I trust Google? <laughs> Maybe, but I'm not going to go find out. Um, and I'm not. I'm not necessarily trying to to judge anybody. But the movie Deadpool. I haven't seen that one either. But I heard there's a seven-minute scene of sex, and we pay Hollywood to feed us this garbage. We pay television to feed us this garbage. Are we ever truly going to get away from it? No. Not unless we become hermits and move to Alaska, which was my plan before Christ got a hold of me. Because I didn't like people. I, I had a really hard time dealing with people. And he got a hold of me. So now we're, we're stuck in, in society. But we can stand apart. We can stand apart. We can be salt and light. And I, I can honestly say... I love each and every one of you. I can honestly say that I would stand and have a conversation with you. I can honestly stand, or say that I would pray with you. That's, that's part of my own personal journey. My wife can attest to it. I, it, it, was, it was bad. I had a terrible hate for people in general. In my mind, it was, you know, people are stupid. They, they whine. They complain. You know, I just, for whatever reason, I just I got along with nobody. Relatively. I'm surprised that, that I was able to hold on to her that long. But I did. And now things are different. Things are changed. So let's, let's uh, finish this up. So Israel's rest can be likened to a rest of the soul. And it's uh, Hebrews chapter 4 again. Wrong way. Find it, there it is. So, verse 9. 
It's, it's the same one that we were going over. That there remains therefore a rest to the people of God. When, when Israel was able to rest after the conquest, they rested. There was no more warfare. They were plowing their fields. They were living life. They were growing their families. Those kind of things. And, and, and we have a rest of the soul. The Word tells us that, that there will be a rest from all of the garbage. The Canaanites that were not subdued. So the interesting thing is, as they come in, they subdued the land, they, they go through all these battles, and it's just time after time after time after time, these amazing things are happening. Well, eventually the people start to hear about it. They hear about these miraculous things, the walls of Jericho falling over. Um, they used uh, Balaam. I think Balaam's the son of Bor. Um, but he was, he was like a, a sorcerer or a... Or a um, a wise man for their god of idolatry. And the, the king called him up to curse Israel. God caused him to bless Israel. So all these miraculous things are happening. So some of these, the, the, the heathen people start to lay down their arms and say, okay, we're... Still things that try to get at us. So I'm 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 done with with the notes. Um, I, I, I so I will finish up. Um, what I would like to say is Romans chapter six verse twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We have to have faith. In Jesus Christ. We have to have faith that He's going to give us the strength. I wasn't supposed to speak this morning. I gave it to the Lord. I strengthened me. My wife prayed for me. Other people prayed for me. I gave it to Him. I'm still cutting my teeth. In all, in all reality. Um, so I give it to Him. For He is my strength. He is who will conquer my battles for me. I can't overcome the sin on my own. My nature is sinful. We hold on to our idols. The, the biggest example that I have in my own life is we have this DVD rack. It's probably three foot tall, two, two and a half foot wide. It's packed full of DVDs before we became believers. There's like Saw and horror films and action films. and I mean, there's these things that I, we used to watch those. Saw used to be my wife's favorite like trilogy. Like, it's weird, right? She's this pretty little... Fancy thing. <laughs> and she's got, she's got, you know, uh, a, a desire for, for weird things. So, um, not, not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. I shouldn't open my mouth. My, my point is, is that we have, we have these DVDs on the shelf. We haven't watched them for the last two, three years, four years maybe. But they still sit there. Why have we not thrown them away? Why have we not gotten rid of them? Why do we hold on to our idols? 
Today is the day. You know? I mean, why is it... I'm getting feedback from somewhere. Um, pornography is wrong, right? Right. It's wrong. Yet it brings in millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yet if somebody was to look in a neighbor's window while the wife and husband are, are having their intimate time together, it's illegal. The computer's a window. I don't know. I don't know if I've drawn any conclusions or brought any points up that, that uh, shouldn't matter. I hope so. I hope to glorify the Lord. Uh, it's, it's not me. I'm just a tool willing and ready to stand in the gap. But my question to you is, whom will you serve? My wife got rid of Facebook because she, anytime she had a moment to sit down, she was looking at what everybody else was doing. Everybody else's life. Always concerned. What's going on over here? What's going on over here? What's going on with these people? Like a, like a, like a gossip. So she laid it down. Two years ago. Two years? Three years? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Point is, she laid it down. We all have things that, that we still hold on to of the world. And we can't serve the world and God. So, that's it. You gonna press up? I am most perfect you too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's true. I, I'm not sure who was supposed to preach today. We thought it was gonna be Brian Switzer, but he didn't show. And this is not just a mistake. God, God did this on purpose. He's got to use. Amen. He's got a purpose for this young man. And uh, I want to watch him grow. Glory to God. Yes. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us, Lord God, to uh, serve you. Lord, we just pray that. Uh, that the message that was received is the message that you wanted given. Lord, as we uh, go through our, our day today, can we just be reminded, Lord, of you and what you want us to do and where you want us to stand. And I just pray that everyone stands in the gap for you. And Lord, as, as Jared goes on his life, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you use him, fill him with your spirit, guide him and direct him to go further in your kingdom. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for that.